one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 30, The White Tomb. All lessons were suspended. All examinations postponed. Some students were hurried away from Hogwarts by their parents over the next couple of days. The Patil twins were gone before breakfast on the morning following Dumbledore's death. And Zachariah Smith. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Before we start today's episode, I just want to say that we are all living in a very changed world right now. And so we hope that you are all safe, that your family members are safe, and that you are finding ways to take care of yourself right now. Because the coronavirus is certainly one of the scariest things that I have seen in my lifetime. And I'm older than a lot of you. So that's saying something. So to help bring us all together and to help us refocus on the text that has given so much, we are doing a very special thing, which is an eight week class. Every Tuesday evening, we'll be gathering to do a deep dive into one of the books and to do what we started this whole podcast with, which was an in-person class. So you'll join with people from all over the country and perhaps even the world to do sacred readings of Harry Potter live online. So there are several different options for ways to join. You can join live along with us if the time doesn't work because you are somewhere not in the 
continental United States, for example, you can buy all eight classes to watch them after. We have several people donating scholarships for this. So if you can't afford to join us, please look online at our live shows page anyway and figure out how to apply for a scholarship. And if you can afford a scholarship, please offer one. We know that there'll be some people who would love to be part of this who would be so grateful if you can help. I've already been bowled over by the generosity of our community. It continues to make me cry constantly. Thank you so much. But go to harrypottersacredtext.com and click on the button that says live show and join us for our event together in quarantine. We start on Tuesday reading the very first chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, but it's really Philosopher's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone. So, Vanessa, do you have a story for us today? I do. So my grandfather was raised ultra, ultra Orthodox, like all of the things that you associate with being a religious Jew, had pious, wore a kippah every day, etc. And in his late teens, he decided that he did not believe, but he wanted to maintain some sense of public orthodoxy for the sake of his parents. But he like always did these little rebellions, like he would go and like eat non-kosher food on his lunch break from yeshiva. So he pretended to his parents that he was super orthodox, but privately was like constantly rebelling. And then by the time his parents died, he was living an entirely atheist, entirely secular life and was actually quite contemptuous of religion, would mock people who were more religious than him. Well, that was all true even when his wife, my grandmother, died. They had been married for almost 60 years when she passed away. And, you know, we were going through the Jewish motions of grieving. You know, she had a Jewish funeral and... And we sat Shiva, but we noticed that there was something sort of different than our conservative but atheist way of mourning going on with my grandpa. And the first sign was he came over the night after Shiva ended and Papa was obsessed with being clean shaven. If my brothers had like five o'clock shadow, he would say like, what, you're in a fight with your razor? Like he hated facial hair. And we noticed that he had, you know, like a week's worth of beard. And we were like, Papa, what's going on? And he was like, well, you don't shave for the month after your spouse dies. And then we found out that even though it had been more than a week, he was still going to temple twice a day to say the mourner's prayer for my grandmother. And there's sort of like different levels of religiosity where you'll go for a week or you go for a month. And it became clear that he was going to go for a whole year to temple twice a day to pray for my grandmother. And so I asked him, I was like, Papa, what's going on? Like, you don't believe in any of this. And he just said, oh, your grandmother deserves it. And I just found that so interesting because that's when it became clear to me he didn't believe And for himself, he's willing to take the risk of being a complete non-believer. But for my grandmother, he didn't want to take that risk. He was going to say all the prayers to get her into heaven just in case. He was going to say all the prayers to honor her on earth just in case. And I just think that that is such a beautiful way to think about love as being actions for the other person that are entirely about the other person. 
And I think we really see that form of love in this conversation between Harry and Ginny toward the end of the chapter, where Harry is saying, Ginny, I have to break up with you because otherwise you'll be in danger. And then Ginny says, I don't care about being in danger. I want to be with you. And they are both so entirely thinking about the other person and willing to take these great sacrifices to do it. I love calling myself to that kind of love. It is not instinctive to me at all. But thinking what is a way that I can act entirely for someone else, I think brings us to be the best versions of ourselves. Yeah, it's so striking how they're both like looking after each other in this chapter. As you said, they're both doing something because they think it's best for the other. So often we talk about love as this wonderful, all-encompassing, overwhelming romance, right? And actually love is also dogged and disciplined. That There is something humble and everyday and showing up to temple twice a day for a year. I love that image of disciplined, generous, sacrificial love. Yeah. I love that you're calling the discipline of it. Because yeah, he wouldn't make a doctor's appointment that interrupted with it. It was a very disciplined demonstration of love. Mm. Do you know what else I'm disciplined in? Mm, tell me. The 30-second recap. hey oh, uh, Put those 30 seconds on the clock. Okay, you're going first. Are you ready? Yes. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so this is why we have Divinity School, because this whole funeral is a total disaster. People can't hear the guy. We don't even know his name. He's wearing a bad outfit. Like, some of the guests can't come because they can't get to the place where it's happening. It's it's a total disaster. Um, also, if Harry was a Greek god, he'd be Hercules, because he's basically going like, I can go the distance, but please don't come with me. Um, and then Hermione and Ron are like, no, we're definitely coming. Haven't you learned by now? Please, God. Um, and Ginny is saying like, no, I get it. Uh, you'll get me once you've gotten Voldemort. I loved the Hercules interlude. I just really feel like we should be bringing in a little zero to hero. It's the end of book six. This is a time for heroes. I agree. (laughs) Okay, it's time for me to do the 30 second recap. Casper, can you count me in? Here we go. Three, two, one, shoot. So Hermione is like, I don't want to say that I was right, but I was right. Snape is um, uh, the son of Prince and he's proud. And Harry is like, oh, my God, Snape and Voldemort are basically the same thing. They're half whatever. And they pick on name. Can't believe Dumbledore didn't know. And Hagrid carries Dumbledore's body and he's sobbing. And Madame Maxime is there. And everybody's really judgmental of the parents who pick up their kids from the school where the headmaster was murdered. And if I was a parent, I would totally pick up my kid from that school. And yeah, and then they go off on their adventure. Once again, Hermione Granger and the Half-Blood Prince. Hermione Granger and the I was right all along. Hermione Granger and the Choir of Mer People. Casper, I want I want to start with Hagrid. I know that we already talked a little bit about Harry and Ginny, but can we start with Hagrid? Yes, always Hagrid. I know I've been hard on Hagrid in the past, and I just want to take it all back. Hagrid, you're perfect. Aww. Because him carrying Dumbledore's body, it's like Hagrid is literally all the pallbearers, which is such a beautiful idea to me. And suddenly it occurred to me while he was carrying Dumbledore's body, I was like, oh, Hagrid is always carrying people across things, is always bringing people across things. He brings Harry into the wizarding world. Mm. He brings Grop 
into his life. He brings Madame Maxime out of shame for her being a giantess. Mm. He brings every student to Hogwarts. Mm. He literally brings every student to Hogwarts. I think that is a form of love. Transitions are so hard. Transitions are scary. You are giving up a huge part of who you were in order to take a risk on the unknown. And they are only made easier by accompaniment. And Hagrid is like a professional accompanier. He literally lives on the border with the forest, right? right? He lives in an in-between place. And there's just something beautiful about loving in between. Yeah. In divinity school, we would call that like liminal spaces, that not quite this and not quite that. And so you're in this in-between place. And he represents that in his own physical body, right? Like he's half giant, half wizard. We've often used maternal language to describe him, but you're right. It's more like a mentor who helps you across a transition. Or like if you think about the famous Joseph Campbell kind of map of a story, right? Like that you have the call to adventure, that the hero refuses the call and then meets a mentor who helps them cross the threshold. That's literally what happens, right? Harry has these experiences of magic, like with the snake. And it's like, what is going on? I don't understand. And then meets Hagrid who helps him transition, you know, into Diagon Alley. And it's interesting in this chapter where, you know, in so many ways, Dumbledore has really been that mental figure. And it's in this chapter when Dumbledore's, his body is now being buried, that we see Hagrid really take on that sort of loving presence. And I'm just thinking that this is such a beautiful bookend that Hagrid shows up at the very beginning of the series carrying Harry's body and sobbing. And now toward the end of the series, he's carrying Dumbledore's body and sobbing. I don't know. It just shows that like loving things isn't easy. Part of feeling complete love is at times feeling total pain. I think that's so important. I think our culture puts love in this box where it's just Valentine's Day and chocolates. And like, that's not real. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we end this chapter on this beautiful promise of the wedding of Bill and Fleur, which is this moment of sweetness that Harry really chooses to savor. He's like, you know, the whole world is coming to an end, but at least we'll have this one more memory of just like simple love, joy, you know, happiness, family, community. But the way in which love is expressed in this chapter is, is about regret and longing and sadness and like in Harry and Ginny's conversation, as you talked about, you know, in your opening story, there's a sort of sacrificial element of love. And I wonder what we make of that. Like, are they making the right decision here? I mean, I think, yes, I'm sure I've said this before because it is a moment of my childhood where I was like, oh, that's what love is. Mm. But my grandmother was flying in from Israel and my parents were arguing about who would pick her up from the airport. And they were saying, I'll pick her up. You sleep in. No, 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 no. You've been up with the kids lately. You sleep in and I'll pick her up. And, you know, my mom raised us that if you make the other person happy, you'll be happy, right? That it's a virtuous cycle of kindness. Mm. So I think that they are doing that. They are saying, I love you so much. I need to let you go. And even though it hurts me, it's going to keep you alive. And it's not to say we're never going to be together, but it's saying like, I know you need to do this for you. 
and I will be here when you come back. Like, I think there's such maturity at that age to be able to see that kind of long potential future together. That sensitivity is just another expression of care. They're just, they're all, they're all caring for each other. That's what's so lovely. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when I'm in grief or distress, the thing that I feel is I don't have the capacity to care about your problems right now. Right. And like, I'm sorry your dog died. Don't care right now. And I love, you know, the way that you were talking about love as an act of discipline. And what we see in this chapter is that even if that's your instinct Mm. of saying like, no, stay with me, choosing to be disciplined and saying, I'm going to care about your dog dying, even though I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z. It's okay if that's not our instinct. What matters is that it's what we do and that choosing to be disciplined is in and of itself the act of love. Yeah, Vanessa, that just reminds me, my uncle passed away about 15 years ago and he died of cancer and, you know, was still relatively young and being there for his funeral, you know, which was full, like everyone showed up. And I think actually turning out to a funeral is such a powerful way of of showing that kind of commitment, right? And we see that. In this chapter, the mer people are there. We're seeing arrows flying in from the forest, right? All, all these people are showing up, many of whom we've never met before. But aside from the funeral, the thing that really moved me was that the next day in the newspaper, there were like 15 different personal notices of people honoring him with their own little ads. And it's it's relatively normal for a family to put one in and sometimes maybe a place of work will put in. But what was so striking for my uncle was that it was like, yes, it was his wife and kids, and then it was his siblings, and then it was his workplace, and then there was this group of friends, and then there was this trio that he played in as a musician. And like the whole page was filled with just his name, Case Hiller, Case Hiller, Case Hiller. I was like, oh my God, like what a life this man must have lived to have so many people go through the process of like filling in the form and, you know, paying the however 300 bucks or something to put a name in the thing. I was just really moved by that. And I I felt that reading this chapter again, because it's showing up for someone, maybe even if you haven't had a connection with them recently, this is the moment, right? Like this is the moment to show up. And I feel like the Wizarding World is doing that for Dumbledore. He's being honored in the way that a great wizard like Dumbledore deserves. And, you know, there's the normal grossness of a funeral yeah. of like Rita Skeeter being there yeah. and like taking notes and Scrimjaw sort of being there to like talk to Harry for political gain. There are always those moments at a funeral too. A hundred percent. I mean, it's a disaster. It made me so angry. I was like, this is the thing you don't screw up, right? It's like in the middle of their wedding service, forgetting their name. And I feel like every priest or rabbi or minister does that maybe once in their life. But this guy is a total failure from beginning to end. Like we know how to amplify a voice in the wizarding world, right? Is he doing that on purpose? Like what, what on earth is going on? I mean, the other thing that I think that we see at this funeral, which we see at almost every funeral, is... Harry remembering mundane details about Mm. Dumbledore. He's like, oh, I remember Dumbledore's idea of a few words, nitwit, blubber, augment, tweak. And something that I almost always hear from people at funerals are like, I remember that this guy's belt missed a loop or I remember this person's shoe was untied, right? Like we focus on these strange things that can feel like we're not being loving enough that we're not paying attention to the right thing. But like 
I don't know, the mundane becomes very clear to us in these moments. I feel like there's two, maybe three of those moments that happens for Harry. One is in terms of like feeling weird feelings, this is a moment when he admits to himself the tiniest drop of pity for Malfoy. Yes. Right? Like that is such an unexpected feeling for him. And I'm sure he's probably angry at himself maybe for feeling it even because he's like, this guy let in the Death Eaters. This is the reason why Dumbledore has died. So I think that is one like surprising moment. The other thing that I saw, which was I don't know why this really touched me. Honestly, I cried like throughout this whole chapter, but like this, this was like a real tearjerker moment. Madame Pince joining the Ravenclaws. Like, why is that so emotional? I guess I just suddenly was like, of course she's a Ravenclaw. And just like, I don't know, like at funerals, I don't really want to talk to anyone. I just want to be with my family. That's been my experience. Like, I just want to be with my sisters and my parents. And so I just think like seeing Madame Pince go to be with the Ravenclaws was just such a sweet moment because she probably doesn't have a partner. It it doesn't sound like, you know, we never meet any children that she has. So this is her family. Like she's coming to her tribe. That really touched me. And it was, it struck me that Harry notices that, or at least that the voice of the book notices that. What do you make of the fact that this is really the first funeral that we see? Like, you know, we've had Sirius die. We've had Cedric die, but. I mean, I. I was really, really struck by the fact that it gets called to our attention that Sirius, they didn't have a funeral memorial. And the excuse that Harry sort of articulates to himself is, well, we didn't have a body. And it's like, "Mm, that doesn't actually stop you from having a funeral. And so I, I was wondering what actually stopped them from having a funeral. And I was like, oh, they couldn't admit that they knew he was good and that they helped him escape, right? He was a fugitive. And you can't have any announcement in the paper that we loved our Sirius, we'll miss him. He was a wonderful member of the order. And it just made me, again, appreciate Snape's sacrifice, that there's so much about people that we don't get to honor in them. And that, to some extent, every funeral is an honoring of every person you've ever known who's died, because every funeral reminds you of past ones. Oh, yeah. Even just thinking about how, like, one grief topples onto another and it unlocks griefs that are just there for always, right? It doesn't just go away or it doesn't get processed into nothingness. And also like funerals aren't perfect. I mean, and not just procedurally, but relationally, like Percy is there. I mean, Bill has just survived a freaking werewolf attack and Percy is there and not reconciled. I mean, how much more is it going to take? You know what I mean? So like, I also don't want to paint this picture of like perfection, an easy, tidy button. The world is still broken. And then yet you see the way that it's brokenness has brought people together. I feel like you and I just tag teamed and did a reversal of roles. (laughs) I'm like, no, it's still broken. And you're like, but, but it does healing. (laughs) Well, we see Lupin and Tonks there, right? And like yes. Tonks is restored to herself and they're holding hands. And Lupin seems to have taken Arthur's prodding seriously of like, okay, let's try this thing. And we see Ron and Hermione with their arms around each other. I think that funerals are horrible and like poorly done and they're all we have and they can bring people together. They're both. They suck and they're beautiful and wonderful and loving. Well, and I I just want to build on this theme of like love as a discipline because a funeral is one of expression of that. But we also see that the only people who heard the call of the coins, the DA coins, were Neville and Luna. 
And Harry speculates that they were probably the only ones who missed it enough, right? Like who checked those coins regularly. Everyone else has kind of moved on, right? Like life studies, the world certainly is is full. But they have kept this discipline. And I mean, my reading of that is that they're not doing it alone. Like the two of them are probably getting together being like, hey, have you checked the coin recently? Like, oh yeah, I check mine every night kind of thing. And that there's nearly a sort of ritualized practice for the two of them and that they were both ready as soon as that call came through. And so even when something feels like it is dead, like the DA, that discipline of looking for life, that really moved me. And I hate Harry's reading of why they (laughs) came. It was like, well, they're just pathetic enough. And for them, this is all they had. I'm like, no, they were the two who came with you to the ministry last year. They are the two who feel the most connected to you because they went on this very traumatic experience with you. And they feel very connected to the cause because they saw the stakes. They saw Voldemort and Bellatrix. They are invested. And I'm like, Harry, you patronizing idiot. (laughs) Just because you're not super close friends with them doesn't mean they don't have friends and lives. Yeah. I'm like, this is not about like, oh, I miss my friends. It's about so much else for Neville and Luna. Yeah. Yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. One one image that really struck me was the lake in this chapter. Harry looks away over the lake when he's in conversation with Ginny and they're, they're deciding to kind of let each other go for this time. We have the mer people, you know, singing, emerging from the lake. But it's also this reminder of danger, right, from the Triwizard Tournament. It's an echo to the lake we've just come from in the cave where we've had this mission to nowhere with the Horcrux and, of course, that we can Dumbledore. Like, what does it represent, do you think? 
I do think it represents to some extent we get reminded that Dumbledore spoke Mermish. And yes. so Dumbledore's commitment, he wasn't just a great wizard in terms of his magical skill, but also in terms of his diplomacy skills, right? That he was like, we share land. I guess it's making me think of the missed opportunities in the United States of relationships with native communities that Dumbledore is like, we're on your land, we use your lake, I need to have a relationship with you. Whereas a lesser headmaster would not do that and it would be to his detriment. I mean, obviously the thing that comes to mind with water is purity and baptism and Mm. being reborn. But I don't know if we really see that in the chapter. It's just... Well, that's interesting because what we do see happening is this kind of, again, badly choreographed explosion into a white tomb that suddenly out of nowhere is magic, this stone object. So I'm picking up on your theme of water as life and stone as maybe representing death and the way that we honor with gravestones, for example, or you think of stones being piled up above a body that's buried it both acknowledges that the solidity of this ending, but also the endurance maybe of that person's memory. I remember going to visit the grave of a hero of mine, the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, and I went to the grave just under 10 years after he had died. And he didn't have a stone gravestone. He had it made out of wood. And so within 10 years, like it had broken away. And it was this I don't know, it was really interesting to be confronted by someone choosing to have their burial memorialized in something that would be gone so soon. And so I think it's interesting to look at Dumbledore's, you know, this white tombstone that, you know, that's going to be a feature in the Hogwarts grounds for generations to come, just like the Whomping Willow or, or the lake. There's now this stone. Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice, and we're doing Florilegia one last time before we finish book six. And I'm curious to see what sentence you chose. I feel like this whole chapter is just filled with sparklets. So, Vanessa, what did you choose as your sentence? I chose Hogwarts Express would be leaving an hour after the funeral. I chose he was more alone than he had ever been. Drama. Drama. Okay, tell me, where is your sentence from and and why did you pick it? So my sentence is from right before the funeral. They're talking about all the arrangements and they've just talked about all of the kids who have been ushered away. Everyone's allowed to stay for the funeral, but then they are being like gone, right? Like finals have been interrupted. The world has been interrupted by this death. And we're in the middle of a coronavirus (laughs) And this just spoke to me of the ways that institutions try to control these things of like, okay, we're going to send the kids away as soon as we can. Mm. You know, it's it's trying to create order where there's nothing but disorder. What about you? So this is, you know, Harry is really confronting. I think being at the funeral makes Dumbledore's absence real. It's the presence of his dead body that makes the absence really concrete. And so Harry is saying that, you know, there's no waking from this nightmare. There's no comforting whisper in the dark that's going to come, right? Like the illusion of safety that he's lived with has come to an end. And he's realizing he's more alone than he's ever been. And honestly, the reason why this struck me so much is because it's also such a lie. He is literally surrounded both by people that you would expect to keep showing up for him, Ron and Hermione. Like Ron has this wonderful moment of just saying, we'll be there, Harry. 
but also these unexpected other people at the funeral, not only the mer people and the centaurs in the forest, but the fact that all of these people who are at Dumbledore's funeral also represent potential allies in the fight against Voldemort. And there's so many faces that Harry doesn't know. So I guess the reason why I'm choosing it is because I feel like Harry's telling himself an old story again that isn't true. Yeah, and I want to be like, Harry, you were way more alone when you lived in that cupboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, you just don't remember how bad your life's been. Right. <laughs> and also, of course, it's going to get way more lonely. Just wait till you're camping in the hills of Scotland, right? It's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But yeah, it just really struck me how core cool that story is to him, how hard it is to escape that story. So let's try and put these two together. He was more alone than he had ever been. Hogwarts Express would be leaving an hour after the funeral. I mean, I do think that those two things are together, right? The most important part of the funeral to me is like the the kiddish, the like meal afterward, where mm. it's an opportunity to really reconnect and be with people. And it's like, he's alone. He has to go to this thing that'll devastate him and then just leave. There should be some sort of thing in the Gryffindor common room where they get to remind each other how much they love each other after a funeral. But instead, it's only honoring the fact that there's a loss and not the fact that loss can bring us together. Yeah, that's so true. They're looking forward to the wedding at the Weasleys, but also this was a moment. I mean, this could have been a moment for McGonagall to say, Dumbledore gave his life for this school. This could have been a... a, I don't want to say it so crudely, but like a recruitment moment to be like, well, will you stand with us, you know, as well as a joyful reconnection of community. Should we flip the sentences? Yes. Will you read it the other way around? Hogwarts Express would be leaving an hour after the funeral. He was more alone than he had ever been. Oh, I'm suddenly reading it as Dumbledore. I mean, I know he's dead, but like everyone is leaving the physical place of the school. Forks the Phoenix has disappeared. I mean, he's in a portrait in the office where he's surrounded by the headmasters, but there's something about like the finality of this ending. You know, he lived for the students and the students are leaving. Yeah, I'm suddenly reading it as Dumbledore. What about you? Do you know what this is actually making me realize is that Hagrid is having the funereal experience that he sort of deserves. Grop is there. Madame Maxime is there. Yes. The Hogwarts Express is going to take all the kids away, but he's going to have a wake for Dumbledore in his cottage. And the three of them will drink and think of Dumbledore and maybe Slughorn, right? Because of the Aragog funeral. Oh my God. That's the funeral we've seen before is the Aragog funeral. Oh my God. Yes. And Hagrid was there both times. You're so right that Hagrid is the key. Hagrid is the key for everything. And so it's just occurring to me that, ugh, I hate how optimistic I'm being today, but that even when systems come in to try to separate us, like the Hogwarts Express leaving in an hour, people will gather. People will do their best to come together. Oh, that's a beautiful reading. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Casper. I love Florilegia. It's so cool. (laughs) Is it your favorite? (laughs) This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week, our voicemail is from Emma Boyd. Hey, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. I'm Emma, and I'm a little bit behind right now, but I'm listening to Book 5, Chapter 7, through the theme of progress. In the seventh chapter, you all talked a lot about Harry exploring his career as an Auror. I'm sure you all know, but there's a lot of disagreement from fans on Harry's career choice. There's a headcanon that Harry should have actually been in Hogwarts Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher because he loves Hogwarts and teaching, as we see with Dumbledore's army. And frankly, after fighting Voldemort as a child and teenager, I can't imagine entering a career that involves such violence without it bringing up a lot of trauma. Personally, I agree that Harry as a teacher makes a lot more sense. But in Havruta's style, my question is, why does Harry become an Auror? And my answer is this. Harry becomes an Auror because he's expected to keep the Wizarding World protected and because there's no way for him to step out of the boy who lived or chosen one role. Within the Wizarding World, it's so close-knit and small that there's little room for exploration or shifting roles or taking back promises. Right now, I relate to Harry. I'm 19 and I just went to college, so I'm in a space of complete redefinition. I'm taking new classes and learning about areas that I'm interested in. However, I've told everyone in my life that I want to be a minister since the age of nine. I'm scared to explore any new career paths because I'm scared to disappoint the people around me who have invested so much time and care into my ministry. I know that these people only want the best for me, but I feel like I've made a promise to minister them and that I'll never be able to take that back, even if I didn't understand the promise I was making. So I'm offering a blessing for me and Harry and for everyone who feels like they don't know if they can fulfill their calling or even if it is their calling or who feels scared of the path they've chosen. We'll figure this out together. Bye. And thank you for the podcast. So Emma, not to get too meta on you, but maybe the way that you can minister to these people is by demonstrating for them that it's okay 
to quit, right? That it's okay to not keep things that felt like promises at the time, but were actually claims of things that you didn't understand and that it's okay to walk things back. That can be a form of ministry. And I hate when older people say that you're young, but you are only 19 years old and life is long. You have 70 years of a career ahead of you. And so committing now because you made what felt like a promise at seven, I would just encourage you to live in the way that you would want the people who you love to live and know that the other people around you feel the same way. You would not expect someone to keep that promise. I'm always very suspicious of people who are doing the thing that they wanted to do when they were five. I mean, some people really do know it, right? Like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to ride ponies. Like, whatever it is, great. But honestly, I think it's, we see so little of the world when we're small. And it's so wonderful that you're learning these new things and discovering new passions in your classes. And honestly, my guess is that you will grow and change and learn new things. But that the peace in you when you were a nine-year-old that said, I want to be a minister, that that will find an expression in whatever you do and that you can trust both that long-term longing and the new things that you're learning to become the person you want to be. So Casper, we now get to bless someone from this chapter. And a lot of people need blessings and deserve blessings in this chapter. But who would you like to lift up? Yeah, I feel like I just want to bless all of them, right? Like this is such a pivotal moment. And we're entering really the valley of despair for much of book seven, right? We are entering a whole new chapter of the war. But my blessing today is for Professor McGonagall. She has been elevated into a role of headmistress. She is a, a figurehead in a movement now to take on Voldemort. And she, I think, is more exposed and more of a target than ever before. We've seen her receive a body blow from a Death Eater before. So she is under no illusions of the dangers that she's in. And I can only imagine the sense of weighty responsibility and also that sense of loneliness and leadership that she's experiencing. And I hope, especially as Harry has not told her about the mission, that she can still feel powerful enough and strong enough to do this role that has been given to her. I think so often new responsibilities land in our laps before we're ready, whether a new parent or at a new job or a new caring responsibility. And Honestly, the only way that we ever feel ready is just by doing it. And so I just wish her perseverance and to feel the love that so many of us feel for her. How about you, Vanessa? I want to bless Hermione because we find out in this chapter that she has just been giving the best advice to Ginny of like, date other people, move on, but also moving on is going to help you get hairy in the end, (laughs) which is like... I believe in you and your crush and your ability to get any guy you want, but like, don't focus on him. And it's just such loving, beautiful advice to Ginny and it works. (laughs) And so Hermione is like, not just like this great war strategist and organizer. She's also a love guru. Do you remember the movie How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Yes. I think Hermione is writing a new book called How to Win a Guy in Seven Years. (laughs) (laughs) How to Win the Boy Who Lived in Six Years or Less. Your Chosen One, 10 Tips. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, she would look so great in that low back yellow dress. (laughs) Iconic. Iconic. I've never seen it. Don't know what movie you're talking about. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you don't have a local group near you, come and join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about the episode. I just learned that two people met in that common room and started a podcast together. If you support the show, please join our Patreon to help support the cost of making it. We're so grateful to everyone. You can send us a review on iTunes or a voicemail. Next week, we will do our book six wrap-up episode. This episode is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nedelman, and our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisao and Nick Boll, and we're proud to be distributed by Acast. Thanks to Emma Boyd for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Aggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and of course, Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Not only the mer people and the what are the 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 nags from the forest called uh, centaurs. Um, I don't know why I just used <laughs> that was the word in my brain. <laughs> you were using Trelawney's preferred <laughs> I, name for them. Just, 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 Jesus. <laughs>